Hello, Connected Parents, and welcome to another episode of Connected Parenting. Today's episode will be part of the Q&A series, and this question is from Marianne. How do I make it through transitional seasons with kids? Um, and Marianne also asks, how do you parent a teenager who's highly sensitive? So I'm going to answer both of those questions in today's episode. Hi, everyone. I'm Jennifer Caleri. I'm a child and family therapist and a parenting coach and the founder of Connected Parenting. And welcome to the Connected Parenting Weekly Podcast. Join me every week and we'll tackle everything from temper tantrums to bedtime to sibling issues to teenage angst. Parenting can be so wonderful, but it can be so hard. Parents often say to me, hey, can you just come live at my house? This is the next best thing. Let's do this together. So how do I make it through transitional seasons with kids? And this sounds like a strange question, but my community totally gets this. Our kids, gladiator kids, highly sensitive kids, don't like change. They don't like transitions. They have a really kind of resistant, sticky time with any kind of transition or change. And seasons is one of those. So you'll see this often look like, you know, it could be something simple, like it's you know getting cold and they, re- they, they don't want to wear their winter coat. They're afraid they're going to look weird or nobody else is going to wear their winter coat or they, they're not used to how, how bulky and heavy the coat feels and they really want to stick to their spring coat. And you'll see these kind of really kind of resistant, um, energetic kind of pushback about simple things that other kids seem to be able to just do wear a hat and wear mittens is suddenly a huge deal for kids that um you know tend to be more sensitive you will see it even around things that they enjoy and they like but they're quite resistant to could be anything could be you're changing something in your house or you're getting a new car and they'll be big, big resistance to that. It'll be big feelings about that. And they won't even necessarily know what that is. Sometimes they'll just flat out and have a fit about it. And sometimes they'll just be off and you won't know why. It could be things like changes in your hair or some new thing you're wearing. Um, Sometimes they can have really big reactions to, to seemingly quite small things. You'll see this with kids who are highly sensitive. You'll see this with children who are anxious. You'll see this with kids on the spectrum for sure. ADHD kids will also notice this, these types of things and have quite a reaction to it. But I do notice it around the seasons a lot. Um, And I notice in my practice, September tends to be a really tough month, September and October. And that's because summer is ending. You're going back to school. There's also, depending on where you live in the world, some, some big temperature changes at that time. Then you'll see it again um, around kind of December, January, where it, it, depending on where you live again, it becomes really quite cold and that's where you you can't hide it anymore. It's definitely winter and you have to start wearing boots and snow pants and all the things that, um, can have a sensory impact on kids. Um, and also they're quite sensitive to the changes in the light. It gets dark. So if your family can invest in a hep and a, in a happy lamp or in a therapeutic uh, lamp for light. You can buy them on Amazon. They're not very expensive. And just when they're sitting there on their tablet or watching a show or something, they can use that depending on the lamp. Some of them are 30 minutes a day, some are an hour. Um, Follow the instructions. You don't just sit down in front of the lamp for an hour. Um, You have to kind of build yourself up to it, but it can make a huge difference for kids. Actually can make a, a huge difference for the whole family. So that could be one thing that you definitely do with seasonal transitions that will help. 
Another thing that can help is rituals. So having a little ceremony that marks the end of summer and the welcoming of fall, um, some kind of annual family thing that you do, whether it's, I don't know, pressing leaves or going on an autumn walk or finding all the different colors, see if you can find ways to celebrate and find the wonder and the magic in change. Helping kids learn how to roll through things um, is a really important life skill. It's incredibly helpful for them as they move on to being adults. So anytime you can make it um, a ceremony, you can make it kind of moving, you can find some wonder and some magic in it that will make a huge difference. Talking about it and labeling it is also really important. So they may not notice. I mean, it might not feel like this to them. So you can gently, not in an accusation, not in an accusational way, but just say, hey, you know what? Sometimes transitions and seasonal changes are really hard and you miss things about the season that you're losing and you're not used to the new season yet. And that can cause feelings in your body and that can cause body talk and see if you can get your kids to become more aware of what's happening. And often that can be really helpful. Riding the wave can be really important here. Helping kids turn towards the feeling, go towards it, feel a little bit sad, right? Feel a little bit of loss or fear or uncertainty for what's coming next. Um, you know, one of the biggest seasonal changes is winter for kids who live in cold climates, even though winter can be really fun and really exciting. You can find the, the joy and the wonder in winter for sure. It's also, you know, very dark and quite long, depending on where you live. And that can feel really constrictive. So they can sort of energetically feel that without being able to put words to it. Um, bringing light into the house is really important. <laughs> like, it's easy over the holidays to do that, but keeping it throughout the darker months, January and February, you know, using candles or flameless candles or fairy lights or, you know, just having warmer light in the house can really make a huge difference. It can bring, um, uh, in Nordic countries, they talk about this, they talk about bringing the light and the warmth inside and, you know, celebrating and using human emotion and connection um, to become your sunlight, to become your warmth. So see if you can bring in rituals like, uh, you know, having a board game night or going for a walk together and coming in and all making hot chocolate, um, you know, cuddling up by the fire, telling stories. See if you can bring a little bit of magic into the winter months. That can help a lot, actually. Those things should help. I mean, sensitive kids, this is something they will they will deal with throughout most of their childhood. As they get older, this gets easier. It does get better. It really does. Um, but it is something you will definitely see with gladiator kids and highly sensitive kids. So see if you can try those things and, and see if that'll help. All right. The next question is, how do you parent a teenager who is highly sensitive? So this one's tricky because teenagers are tend to be highly sensitive anyway. So there's a few things I want to say right off the bat about teenagers. One Teenagers' brains are very different. They are under construction. They have many more neurites. They have more neural pathways than an adult brain. And it's as as teenagers grow, your the brain kind of has too many networks, and then it prunes and clips and designs the brain to suit the environment that it's in. And that doesn't mean you can't have new neural pathways grow, but it it really kind of works that way. You, they have too many. Uh, neural connections. And so teenagers in general will tend to get much more bored than adults. 
Um, they need kind of more thrills to stay excited. They're a little bit more prone to addiction during these years. The levels of serotonin and dopamine are kind of off a little bit. That's that's not helped by social media for sure. Um, and as the brain kind of settles and the frontal lobe really comes on, which isn't until later in um, adolescence, sort of more like 17 or 18, um, it's really kind of... Um, a frenetic and difficult thing to be a teenager. And if we just kind of think back to being 15 or 16, how intense everything felt, how you really felt like there was a spotlight on you that everybody was watching it. Everyone could see that your hair didn't turn out or you had a zit on your chin or you sounded funny when you talked or, you know, there, there's just this sense that you are being absolutely watched. And there's this kind of retraction that you'll see teenagers having. So they tend to be much more sensitive to everything. The other thing that's really important, and there's been studies done on this, that teenagers are really bad at reading um, body language and facial cues. They've actually done studies and they've shown that you know adults are pretty good at it, but teenagers will see sadness or blame or anger where the, where it's literally not there. Like an adult would, would interpret that situation very, very differently. That does change and improve as teenagers get older, but it makes it really challenging to argue or get into conversations with them because they just don't see the world the way teenagers do. And it's very easy as a parent to think, oh my God, my kid's this or that, or this is how they're going to be for life. But honestly, there's so much brain construction that has to happen, especially between kind of 14 and 17, you will not recognize like the difference between a 17 year old and a 14 year old is monumental. It is absolutely huge. It really is. And when I work with teenagers and I'll often say, um, if they're older, like, can you, can you look back now and reflect on your 14 year old self? And they're like, oh my God, like, I can't believe what I was like. And I cared about things that I don't care about now. And so they're really, you just have to sort of trust that there's some innate brain development that has to happen. You can love them through it. You can work on this by not taking it so personally. You can try not to see their life flash before your eyes and decide this is who they're going to be forever because a teenager at 14 or 15 has elements of who they're going to be, but they will look entirely different at 17 or 18. They really will. Um, and it's just kind of a a bit of a bumpy stage that you have to get through. So how do you help your sensitive teen? Don't forget about connection. It's so important to keep this connection, to keep this bond. Your teenager will look for all the world like they're pushing it away and they're going to their room and leave me alone and don't bother me, but they really do crave that connection. And a lot of the behaviors that you see from teenagers are actually attachment behaviors. They want to connect with you. They want to attach. They just don't know how. And then when you are doing it, they're not sure they want it, but they really do need it. So there's a few ways you can do this. Remembering to connect before you correct. Don't just bark out orders or complain that your teenager didn't do this and that, or have they done their homework yet? Really try to take a minute and connect with them first, joke around with them or ask them something or say, you know what, you're probably gonna hate this question that I'm gonna ask. And I would hate it too if I was 15, but like, just see if you can do um, a little bit of softening before you talk to them. It makes a huge difference. Use texting, icons. When you have to have a, a difficult conversation or you need to ask them to do something, do it through text and do the connecting through text. Hey honey, I love you. You know, thanks for doing X. Um, but I noticed that you still need to do the dishwasher, you know, something like that. See if you can 
connect first before you correct or ask and have a lot of these conversations through texting. You'll eliminate the eye rolling and the, you know, the kind of prickly um, body language that you get back and then you're not going to react to it as much. So sometimes having conversations by text helps a lot. See if you can find ways to joke around with your teenager even baby play and, or send them pictures of when they're little, like see if you can find ways to tap into that little person that's still in there, that's struggling and finding a way to figure out who they are in the world. And when you naturally feel like losing that connection with your teenager, cause they're surly and they're eye rolly and they're huffing and they're puffing or they're ignoring you, or you're in the way between them and their phone. Um, your own brain starts to want to retract from that a little bit and stay away from them because you kind of feel burned every time you're around them. But this is a hard one, but it really is the responsibility of us as parents. Our job is to love them. It is not their job to love us back. You will have a conversation with your child one day when they're older. Oh, how did you stand that? And you were so good to me. And I'm sorry, I treated, I promise you that you will but it's really difficult to, during those teenage years. So I would say connect before correct, really try some kind of limbic bonding or baby play. Some teens are really responsive. If you tickle them or rub noses or give them a hug, some are like, oh my God, what are you doing? Um, and don't do that thing where you're like, you know, I hope you have a teenager one day and they reject you. So you know what it feels like? Like, don't do that. Don't get all defensive. Just be like, hey, I love you. I'm here whenever you need me. And often they'll come back a few minutes later and do a little, you know, hip bump, or they'll put their head on your shoulder. They'll do some kind of connecting behavior. Um, if you just stay really neutral, um, if you feel like they're rejecting you, that usually works the best. Um, you know, sending little baby pictures, finding things that they loved when they were little, um, talking to them in the car. Car is a great way to drive. So I used to go for drives with Olivia. We would just drive. I would say, hey, we won't even talk. You be the DJ, you pick the music, let's just go for a drive. And sometimes amazing conversations would come from that. And sometimes they wouldn't. Sometimes we were just together, just together and driving. And I would, I know that she was talking to me and telling me how she was feeling through her choice of music, which was really interesting. And I wouldn't even necessarily do anything with that. It would just give me some insight. The songs that and the lyrics that were resonating with her often um, correlated with how she was feeling and what she was going through during those difficult years. So try those things. And then for you, Try to remember that being a teenager is a difficult and stressful time, that there's a lot going on you know, hormonally, emotionally, brain-wise, and who your teenager is in this moment in time is not who they're going to be. It's who they're, they're going to turn into a very different version of that. So have some trust in, and faith in that. Um, and I guess the last thing to remember is, you know, just because we learned it doesn't mean they're going to learn it because we've told them. Just because we've had an experience and we can say, hey, I learned this, you should know this now. It doesn't work that way. Teenagers are very experiential and they often have to figure out things on their own or multiple conversations allow things to kind of settle in and, and sort of gel so the teenagers kind of feels like it was their idea. So just know that that's, it's sort of, a, you're playing the long game with a teenager. Um, trust in the connection. Trust that this is a moment in time. It's a very difficult time. Uh, love them through it. This is where the calm technique really comes in. Go back and listen to episode one or two. Um, honestly, it, it is teen whispering. It is the only way 
to talk to your teenager. So please do that. That'll be really helpful. Um, go to connectedparenting.com. We've got all kinds of information on there. We've got all kinds of resources for parents. I have my books. We have a whole team of practitioners and therapists that are trained in the connected parenting uh, method that can help you on your journey. Um, we have courses. We've got Connected Parenting Village. We have a lot of resources for parents to help you as you move through this incredible journey of parenting. So thank you so much for listening and I will see you next time on the next episode of Connected Parenting.